And Samson had uh, been called and had taken a Nazarite vow. And as part of the Nazarite vow, he had grown his hair. And so no razor uh, would touch his hair. He abstained from alcohol or any grape product. And there are other uh, requirements to be a Nazarite. And so he had taken that vow and he continued in that vow. Because he had honored God with that and he had honored God through his obedience, God blessed him with supernatural strength. His strength was ascribed, his extraordinary strength was ascribed to the Spirit of the Lord. If you go back to Judges chapter 13 and verse 25, it lays that out right there that he was strong because of God's Spirit who was with him and in him. And so his hair was a symbol of his vow. His hair was a symbol of the agreement that he had made with God. And God was honoring that agreement as long as he kept his end of it. So the hair was representative of that. And that's why the hair was important. That's why the hair had a lot to do with the story of Samson. So because of that, uh, he had uh, been used to do a lot of just amazing feats. And uh, if you read the story of Samson, you just see just one thing after another that he was able to do just just superhuman, supernatural things that Samson was able to accomplish and Samson was able to do uh, because of all his strength. And so uh, he killed a lot of people, uh, a lot of enemies of the people and the Philistines. And so he had uh, done a lot of works with that. He had uh, just just destroyed a lot of the, the city and and works of the enemy of Israel. So there he was, and um, he had some problems, though. And he had some problems with pride. And he had some problems with uh, a woman in particular named, anybody know? Delilah. Delilah, right. And so he couldn't seem to escape this. And what's interesting about the story of Samson is that he knew that she was trying to ruin him. Because how many times had she, uh, he woken up to find the Philistines upon him? But because he had lied to her about uh, the, the source of, the supposed source of his strength, which wasn't really the source of his strength, we know it was the Spirit of God, but because he had lied about it, uh, she kept trying to do things to him, and it didn't work. But understand, like if you were to put yourself in this story and you were watching Samson, like you cared about Samson, and you were watching the influence that Delilah had over him, I want you to think about that for a second. I mean, she kept setting him up and calling the Philistines, who were her people. And he would wake up and they'd be on him to take him captive and he would just beat him or whatever or kill him. And then they would leave him alone, and then she would beg him and beg him and beg him, and then he would give her a different lie uh, as to the source of his strength. So all these things that he was lying about over time. Now, what would you think of that? I mean, think about that for a second. It's like you're watching this guy. You know he's a powerful man. You know that God's with him. You know that he's the judge of Israel. You know that, I mean, as far as Israel's concerned, there was no one 
that they followed any greater than their judge at this time. So there he was, and he was completely and utterly under the influence of this woman who was one of his and Israel's enemies. And she just kept time after time after time setting him up for his ruin and death. And yet he stayed. He stayed and he continued to play a game with her. Now how weird is that? Anybody find that strange? I find that really strange. Uh, And it speaks to his pride is what it speaks to. And then she had also given away uh, a riddle that he had uh, and, and she she'd, uh, got the answer out of him and he gave her the answer and she gave that away and he knew she did it. He knew it. He knew that she'd given away a secret. He knew that she'd given away his his riddle that he had. She He knew that she was trying to have him captured and killed but yet he stayed. He stayed. And you talk about embracing the object of your destruction. I mean, really. And you think about that. And I know it seems really weird, but isn't every addiction like that? Isn't every addiction just like that, that the person who's addicted to something, and you can say all you want about it psychologically or whatever, but they embrace the object of their destruction. The alcoholic embraces alcohol. The drug addict embraces drugs. The gambler embraces gambling. To the point that they will just gamble away everything. Everything. Now, my dad, and he was a great guy, and he was a hard worker, and he was a businessman, and he made a lot of money in his lifetime, and he taught me a lot about working, but he had a gambling problem. He had a gambling addiction. And I'll never forget, we lived in Georgia, and he was working at a place, uh, like a, I think it was like an hour and a half away, and he'd just commute there every day so we didn't have to move. And so he could get up early, like 4 o'clock in the morning, he'd go up there, he'd work all day, come back. I mean, the guy was a hard worker, as hard as it could be. And yet, I can remember clearly one day, I'm at the house, and somebody shows up with a tow truck and tows away our car, just repoed the car. And not long after that, I got word, and I was just a kid, you know, I got word, oh, we're going to have to move. And it didn't come out later until later when I was old enough to kind of understand it. And my mom was talking to me about it, but he just lost everything, gambling. The object of his destruction, well, what was being destroyed? And, and it was like he, he would do anything for us, in a sense. Like he would... He'd drive, he'd commute, he would work long hours, he would make money, he wanted us to live in such a nice place or whatever, and we did have a nice house, we had nice cars, the whole thing. And yet, there was an object of destruction in his life, gambling, that he just embraced until it destroyed not just his life, but it destroyed our lives, all of us. And we ended up moving to Massachusetts, we another job. But there was one thing about my dad that was really weird. And that was that one day he would decide to do something and it would be done. And so after 
that kind of destruction after we had to pick up everything and move, after he had to take a job that was below him, after all of these things that happened, he made a decision and he didn't gamble anymore. It was kind of like he, he had a smoking habit. The guy had been smoking cigarettes for over 40 years. He smoked five packs of the red Marlboros a day. I mean, seriously, just one after the other. That's, like a, that's 100 cigarettes a day. And there came a day, one day, and he told me this too. He, he said, all right, Andy, I've decided I'm going to quit smoking. And he never smoked again for the rest of his life. Just like that. And so whatever there was in his head, I don't know what it was, but he was just one of those people. He just made a decision, and that was it. That was the end of it. But it didn't mean he didn't embrace that for 40 years. And ultimately, he died of lung disease. It didn't mean he didn't embrace it forever, how long he was gambling. And ultimately, it cost his family everything until he made a different decision. But that's just him. I guess. But I want you to understand that we look at Samson, it's like, how, how does this happen? And it's like, right, how does it happen? Well, how does this happen? How does this happen to people you know and people you love or people that you've come across? How does it happen? How does it happen that that an addiction, how does it happen that certain decisions like that, that people will embrace the object of their destruction until destruction comes? And sometimes even afterwards and right through it. How does it happen? Even if you know it's killing you. Right? And, and whatever Delilah was doing or whatever was going on, Samson was addicted to it, whatever it was. Whether it was being loved, being cared for, whatever it was, he was addicted to it and he just stayed even though she was trying to destroy him. And he didn't leave. And so what we're reading here tonight is we're reading, this is heading toward the end of the story. This is where we're heading to. This was uh, toward the end of the story of Samson and Delilah. And what you read there was that Delilah wakes him up and tells him that the Philistines are upon him. Because they were. And then you see what happens to him. You just get that very beginning. I want to look at this passage because maybe there's some truth in here for us. Maybe there's some truth in here about for you about some areas of your life where you're holding on to the object of your destruction. And maybe you're not addicted to something. Maybe you are. Maybe it's not that strong, but maybe it's strong enough that you're experiencing the effects of destruction in your life. And, and it's something to consider. It's something to at least take to God. First thing I want to talk to you about is slumber. Uh, some of you, your Bibles, some of your Bibles say she awoke him from his sleep. Other Bibles say she awoke him from his slumber. Uh, the same word. It's just being translated slightly differently. Uh, but what you see there is that Samson was in a slumber. He was in some kind of a sleep that was going on in his life. And... And uh, you can think about this. You ever hear people use that expression? 
Hey, how you doing? Living the dream, right? Yeah. Okay. We're going to call that slumber, all right, at least a little bit. Because what I want you to understand about that is that living the dream, if that's what you got is the dream, you're in a slumber, all right? And people will allow you to live in that dream for a while. They just will. Because we don't like to step on each other's dreams. And so they will let you live in that dream. But there comes a point where if you have any friends, you have anybody that cares about you, you have anybody that gives a rip about your life, they might say something to you and say, dream over. And let's all move toward reality. Because the dream is the dream. And people will say that, and they'll say, oh, live in the dream. But you know they're sarcastic, right? You know that most of the time when you hear that, somebody says that. And really, it's the people that you know it's sarcastic that makes it funny. You know, it'd be like, hey, how's it going today? Live in the dream. Yeah. And you know it's I'm not going to say anybody's name because, you know, I don't want to cause a problem. But you know what I'm talking about. And I've had a couple people in my life, well, one at least, that said it and really meant it. But that's really rare. And the fact of the matter was that guy wasn't really living the dream except for the dream that was in his head. Right? So, this is an issue that we've been talking about along and along in Bible study having to do with living in a fantasy, living in a dream. That, that God calls us into reality. He calls us into reality. He calls us into a place where whatever's around us and whatever we're seeing, whatever we're experiencing is actually there. It's a reality. And and so, as harsh as that may seem to some people, that's a better place to live. I want to say that. It's a better place to live in reality than in some kind of a dream. And and God is consistently calling us forward into truth. Alright? Into truth and into reality. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life and so and so you got way truth and life they all go together your way that you're on that God puts you on is truth and life but that's the way we really live and, and as the closer we get to Jesus the closer and the more of Jesus is in our life the more Jesus that we're experiencing in our life the more influence that he has over our heart and over our mind the more our thinking is transformed, the more truth that we have in our lives. There's something really key about that. There's something really powerful about that that God wants to move us into on the way and the truth and the life. Kind of interesting, true worship, right? Spiritual worship, what God calls us to in worship, right? Is to worship in spirit and... In truth, there's a reality to it. There's an absolute reality to the worship that really means something. There's there's an absolute reality to any worship that's going to matter. It's it's not some fantasy place. And I don't know that worship, 
that we're supposed to create a, a fantasy atmosphere in our worship. I, I don't believe that. I never have believed that. Worship, we, it, the, to me, worship is the best thing that we can do is open up a door for people to worship themselves. You know, like in their own self. I don't mean worship themselves, worship God, of course, but worship individually. So in other words, corporately we sing and, and we enter in together or whatever it is you want to think about what our singing is, but for each of the individuals, and, and you think about this like in between the songs, whatever you want to think about, but that worship that takes place in there, that's what we're leading to. That's where worship is supposed to go so that people individually can worship. That they stand before God as that individual and they're worshiping God. That's where we're heading. That's what we're trying to do. There's a spiritual empowerment to that. There's a spiritual blessing to that. But there's a truth to that. That I'm not, it's not, you know, us. It's really me worshiping God. And as I will worship God, there's a truth to it. There's something individual and real. And there's something coming from my heart, my spirit, that's just being proclaimed to God. That's important. That's important. And, and as far as I know, and as far as I understand worship, that's what it's about. It's leading you to that place for you to worship. You come in all ready to go with that? Awesome. Start right up. Start right up. Because I love to hear that. I love to hear people singing a new song. I love to hear people singing in the Spirit. I love to hear people proclaiming. I love to hear people recounting the works of God. I love to hear people thanking God. I love it. On their own, like, like they mean it. Like, she means it. He means it. Because that's what we're doing. And so, I encourage you that there's a reality and there's a truth to what Jesus calls us into. There's a truth to who He is. And the more of Him in your life, the more of Him that's on the throne of your heart, the more truth that you're going to live in. I've said this a lot of times, but in your life, the truth of the matter is nothing is ever as bad as it seems and nothing is ever as good as it seems. It's always somewhere in the middle. That's the truth. That's the truth. That big tragedy isn't as big as it seems and it's not as big a tragedy as you think it is. That huge success, that, that, that wonderful thing isn't as wonderful or successful as you think it is. But you know what? It's good to live in the truth. It's good to live somewhere in between those extremes. God didn't call us to that. He just called us to live our lives in truth. And that's a good place. It's a good place. I mean... You know, the Bible doesn't have a lot of good to say about big swings. It doesn't have a lot of good to say about being tossed to and fro on the ocean by every wind of doctrine. It doesn't have a lot to say, good to say about, about us being tossed like an ocean or being like the waves of the ocean. No. Not a lot of good. But there's something to be said about peace. There's something to be said about calm. There's something to be said about an even keel. That's a good thing. 
So when Moses, when Moses, and we're going to come back to this a couple times, when he came down from the mountain of the Lord and he had been in God's presence, you remember there's some feature about him that everybody noticed. Remember what that was? Yeah, his face was shining. Yeah, he had the that presence of God, that glory of God on him. All right? And they all noticed it like, it's weird. And it scared them at first. And Moses made them come near to him. But Moses didn't realize he was glowing, that his face was shining. It just was. Whether he realized it or not, it was shining. Now, I want you to hold that thought for a second. The reality was is that the presence of God in Moses made his face shine. That was the reality. Now, Samson, on the other hand, was dreaming. He was in a slumber. And so, as he was in a slumber, he's awoken from the slumber, waking from the slumber. What's the reality of the situation when he wakes up? God's not with him. Right. But he believes. He believes that God's with him and he's still the same strong guy that he was. The fact of the matter was, the truth of the matter was, is that he was weak and he was apart from God. That was the truth. So you had Moses, on one hand, who was actually in the presence of God, who came down from that mountain in the presence of God, and whose face was shining in such a way that everybody could see it, and he didn't even know it. Okay? Let that rest. And you have Samson. Now, Moses is fully awake and aware. Okay? Samson's in a slumber. He wakes up from the slumber, thinks he's in the presence of God, thinks there's a supernatural manifestation of God through him and his strength, thinks he's going to just continue on doing the same thing he was going to do, when in fact, the reality of the situation, the truth of the situation was, is that he was weak and apart from God. Now, two different situations, two different people. One's awake, one's slumbering. One's living in truth, one's living in a lie. Those are two, there's a big contrast going on between those two. That there is a false security when we flatter ourselves. And I want, and I'm just going to let that hold on that because that's what pride is. Pride tells you everything's okay. You're awesome. You're just awesome. You're the best. And Samson, maybe he woke up from that slumber thinking, Man, I'm strong. I'm going to take care of these guys. This is no problem. Now, why would he think that? Well, he'd been that way. But he wasn't that way anymore. But he didn't even know it. He was living in a lie. But he thought he was living in the truth. You know, when you wake up, it's hard to know what's changed around you when you first wake up. You know what I mean? It's like you're sleeping, you're sleeping, you're sleeping, you wake up. What do you expect when you wake up? Well, you expect things the same way you left them, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like, well, whatever. You wake up, it should be the same as you left it. I mean, that's what I think. 
you know, at least. yeah, at least. So, so like, uh, if you wake up and something's different than the way you left it, that's unsettling. You don't expect that. Like, I'm kind of weird if I wake up and somebody's moving over the top of me. <laughs> I sometimes have a reaction to that. Yeah, yeah, because June started letting that stupid pug dog sleep up on our bed. And so sometime during the night, Garrett comes home and comes in to retrieve his dog. And so I hear something, I wake up, turn over, and someone, some dark figure, is looming over the bed. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. All right? And so that creates a reaction because it's different. Now, Samson is slumbering. So he's sleeping, he's slumbering. Delilah yells out, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. Boom, he wakes up, expecting things the way they were when he went to sleep. Expecting things the same with him, same things were around him are the same as when he went to sleep, and he finds out something has changed. How much has changed? A lot for him. The Philistines were there. They weren't there when he went to sleep. He's weak. And so, and if you read the verses, he proposed something in that verse, and he determined in his own mind to do something. And the fact was, he couldn't do either. I mean, he could propose it and determine it, but he couldn't accomplish it. He wasn't able. He wasn't able. And he didn't even know. So he had his plans. He had his own mind about it. But he couldn't do it. You see, he was under a vow. But he was unable to resist the current that was running counter to the vow through Delilah. He had the vow. As long as he kept the vow, he was good. But when he broke the vow, that was it. It was all. So I want you to think about the nature of slumber. Uh, the the church has used the illustration of slumber a lot. Uh, anytime you hear terms like great awakenings, uh, that whole idea is that a nation falls asleep, uh, whether it be nation of Israel, United States, England, uh, European country. African, China, wherever, South American, Central American, whatever. But a nation falls asleep. And at some point in their history, the gospel is preached in such a way and the Spirit moves in such a way that people en masse wake up from a spiritual slumber. And they begin to see things, they begin to see things the way that God sees things. They begin to experience things the way that God intends for them to experience things. They see themselves for who they really are. 
And so great awakenings lead to people repenting. Great awakenings lead to people coming into a relationship with Jesus. Great awakenings lead to people making different decisions with their lives. The fruit of some of that has been the great missions movements of our time, where people just dropped their vocations and they went out and they just uh, went around the world with the gospel. They changed their majors and they went to colleges in preparation to go into the ministry and they devoted their lives to planting churches and reaching people and discipling people for Jesus. That's how those things started, is that people woke up somehow. And, and you know, it's popular sometimes for people to, to try to usher in a new great awakening. You don't really usher in a new great awakening. I don't know how it happens. Nobody really knows how it happens. It's just something in the moment, something that God does, something that the Spirit of God is working in and moving in in people. And they wake up, wherever they are. And when they wake up, they recognize, oh man, my life is messed up. Oh, I I need to get right with God. Oh, I need God's help for that. Oh, let me ask Jesus into my life. And all of a sudden, old priorities and old things, they don't matter anymore. And they just start something new. They start something fresh. They start something that something inside of them tells them and says, yeah, this is, this is what's going to matter. This is what's going to make a difference. This is all I want to do. And that's what they do. Now, again, I can't explain how that happens. All I can say is sometimes it does. But I also believe that things like that happen on an individual basis. That that even in groups of people, in smaller groups of people, that if it doesn't happen on a, a national level, that sometimes something like that can happen in, in a city, or something like that can happen in a state, or something like that can happen in a region. Something like that can happen in a church sometimes, where people just literally wake up spiritually. And they might not know where they're at. They might not understand what's changed. They might not have any idea what's going on, but they're, they're given an opportunity to change. They're given an opportunity to wake up. They're given an opportunity to recognize their weakness, to recognize their weakness and receive strength from the Lord. Samson, he shows us what it is to be prideful. He really does. And again, I'm not really judging Samson very hard because... You know, I've lived under addiction, and I've lived with people who have been addicted, and my life has been influenced wrongly and influenced poorly by people who had addiction. More than just my dad. And so I know what that is. And so for me to judge Samson too harshly would be to forget my own life and forget my own past. But what I will say about Samson is that he needed an awakening. And Delilah woke him up, and he was still under some kind of an impression that things hadn't changed, that things were all going to be the same, and it just wasn't the same. It just wasn't. And, And again, it wasn't the hair per se. That wasn't really what it was. The hair was only a symbol of devotion. It was a symbol of his life in God. But man, what a symbol. He just gave it all away. 
He gave it all away to somebody that he knew was trying to destroy his life. The object of his destruction just gave it away. And he embraced that thing right until the end. So there he is. There he is. You know, he thought he could do what he had done before, but it was a deception. And there's something about living in a slumber that you just live under deception. There's something about living in fantasy where you just live under deception. That's a fact. That's a fact. And and the problem is is that it affects other areas of your life. It affects other areas of reality in your life. I mean, you probably still know 2 plus 2 equals 4, but that's not what I'm talking about. You may know the sky is blue. Good, I'm not talking about that either. But you may not be able to interpret rightly uh, words of people. You may not be able to interpret rightly actions of people that are around you. You may not be able to interpret rightly the actions of your family or your friends or your coworkers or people you go to school with. You may not be able to interpret this, the times accurately. What's going on around you? You see something that just doesn't exist that no one else sees. Because they don't live in your fantasy. They don't live in your slumber. They're not having the same dream that you're having. So I don't know. They can't agree with you on it. And so either you think everybody else is just messed up. Nobody understands me. Yeah, for good reason. Not making any sense. For good reason, we don't share your dream. For good reason, we don't share your fantasy. We don't share your slumber. And of course, you got people around you that are in their own slumber, so they don't challenge your slumber. Follow me? You follow me? You're in your own slumber, so you're challenging somebody else's slumber, really? How? How? How do you effectively challenge someone else's slumber without putting your slumber at risk? <laughs> right? Let's say you can see something's messed up. And somebody else, well, if you start talking about what's messed up in their slumber, you're putting your own slumber at risk. Who wants to do that? You live under the deception of the masses, man. So I want to encourage you that we think we can do whatever, but it's really a deception. And hear what he said. Read that verse with Samson. Read it. It's like, I will do this. I will do that. I will deliver myself. I will crush my enemy. That's what he said. That's what he said. And if you're standing in the room and you knew what happened and you weren't living in his dream and you weren't living in his fantasy and you weren't living under the same delusion he was living under, you could honestly say to Samson, no, you won't. No, you won't. You think you will, but you will not. And I'm not saying that as we would stand there and gloat over him and say, I'd probably feel pretty bad about it. Watching that guy going down, right? I mean, he is the judge of Israel. He is their leader. And he was about to go under the hand of their enemy. And they were going to do with him as they pleased. Because he had messed them up for years and they were going to take it out on him. You'd have to feel bad about that. But the fact of the matter was, I will deliver myself. No, you won't deliver yourself. I will 
crush my enemy? No, you won't. No, you won't. And whenever you're thinking those kind of things in your slumber, you're like, well, I'll take care of this. No, you won't. You're just not going to. You think you're going to. I will, I will, I will. Your will's not enough in your slumber. It's just not. And it's not going to accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish because you're living in pride and you're overinflating your own ability and power. Because that's the cool thing about fantasy and the cool thing about living in a slumber and a dream that you can be anything you want. You can have superpowers or whatever you want. It's just not true. You can be the most loving person in the world, but you're not. You can be the kindest person that ever walked the face of the earth, but you're, you're not. You can be forgiving, but you're not. You can be full of grace and mercy, but you're not. You could even be a good person, but you're not. You think you are. You're not. Your slumber tells you you are, but you're not. Your fantasy tells you are, but you're not. It's not. And, and I could give you example after example after example of people living in a fantasy, living in a dream, living in a slumber, wasting their time and effort and resources on nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And they do it all the time. Do it all the time. And I want you to think about it. It'd be like somebody wanting to be good. Right? They think they're a good person. They fantasize they're a good person. They they're living in a slumber. Oh, I'm a I'm a good person. And so, you know, you're gonna eat a meal and you got a few leftovers on your plate. Well you get in your car, you run that right down to the rescue mission and hand it to their their kitchen and say, Here, here's some food for you guys. You know what they're gonna do with that food? They're going to throw it away. They're going to throw it away. That's what they do with that. They don't want your leftovers. Nobody wants your leftovers. And so you can waste your time. You can take your plate down there and you can scrape your scrapings onto the, into their kitchen, onto one of their plates, and they're going to throw it away if they don't just tell you to get out. They don't want it and they don't need it. It's only your fantasy that tells you that. It's only your dream. And I'm using an extreme example. I can give you a good example of that actually happening. Good example. In fact, if you listen, you hear examples of that. You just do. You just do. And so, you know, just because... I'm going to take my plate to the rescue mission and hand them that food. And in my fantasy world, oh, they're going to enjoy that food and someone's going to be fed. And I've done a really good deed. I feel really good about that. Only in your world. Because they just put it in the garbage. Because that's crazy. It just is. And I can extend that out as far as you want. I'm just letting you know. So I will, I will. No, you won't. I'm going to do this and that. No, you're not. I won't tell you that because I don't want to sound like the guy who's just a naysayer, but 
Until I hear something in reality, it ain't going to happen. Until I hear some truth, it ain't going to happen. Just because it's in your head, doesn't make it true. Just because you say it out loud, doesn't make it true. Just because you, you, you think you got a plan or whatever, I will, I will. I will, I'm going to crush my enemies. I will, I will, I'm going to deliver myself. No, you're not. No, you're not. It's only in your head. It's only your fantasy. It's only your dream, and it's your slumber. And I want you to understand that if you want to be effective for the kingdom, you've got to come out of that. You have to come out of that. You have to. Even if you fear coming out of that, you're going to go crazy and end up in an insane asylum. Even if that's your fear, I'm going to tell you right now, that's a lie of the devil to keep you out of truth. It is a lie of the devil to believe that coming out of your slumber and into the truth and into reality is going to make you crazy. You know what it's really going to do? It's going to deliver you from being crazy. Because the truth and reality, that's not crazy. That's real. That's life. That's where everybody, God calls us to live. That's where it is. And so the lie of the devil is, don't do that. You're going to be sorry because you're going to go crazy. Really? Then why is Jesus calling you? Why is he the way and the truth and the life? No man comes to the Father except through who? Him, the way, the truth, and the life. You don't, you don't even get to the Father except for by the truth. That's the only way you get there. The way and the life. That's through Jesus. Why would our Savior, that, why would the one who indwells us, why would the one who is offering us life, He's going to lead you to insanity? You know that's a lie of the devil. Because it doesn't make any sense. None of it makes any sense. And yet some of you are hanging on. You're hanging on. Hang on to that slumber. Because God only knows what might happen if you let go. What might happen is you might really be delivered. What might happen is you might really see your enemies crushed. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. And because of the truth. And so he's calling us out. He's calling us out. Beauty and strength come only through communion with God. That's the only where they come from. That's where beauty and strength come from. Communion with God. And communion with God, true communion with God is in truth. That's what it is. There's a, I read a quote as I was preparing for this. I wrote it down, actually. And I don't even know who said it. But he said this, A strong man made weak is unaware. A strong man made weak is unaware. And the idea behind that quote was that he'll continue to believe he's strong. He'll continue to believe it, even if it's not true anymore. I was talking to a guy at the YMCA uh, last week, and he was this kind of maybe five, seven, five, six, five, seven guy. He uh, fat, just big and fat. He was telling me he's like he has neck's been fused. He can't even turn his neck; it's been fused. Uh, he has I don't know how many uh, ruptured discs in his back. He's barely walking. But he's in there, man. He's pumping iron. He's pumping iron. 
watching him go. He told me a story. He said uh, some uh, some guy, a different YMCA up in Baldensville, he walked up to a bench and asked the guy if he could use the other side of his bench, the other end of it, because he was only using one end. And I guess it was a kid, weightlifter kid. So he was pretty big. And the kid just told him to get away from him. said no and just go find somewhere else. He didn't want him on the other end of the bench. And the guy looked at him. The guy told me, he's like, yeah. Then I, I told him, I said, well, I'm just going to kick your ass then. <laughs> now, now, follow me on the story, okay? Because I'm looking at the guy. He's in his mid-40s, but he is falling apart. And I'm thinking... You're going to kick a guy's butt that's in his 20s and that is a weightlifter? You're going to kick his butt. And I was thinking, I said, you couldn't even kick my butt. In fact, you know, I don't think you could hobble your way over here and, and even muster up a swing. But a strong man, a strong man, made weak, is unaware. And he's just unaware of where he's really at. And I thought to myself, be thankful that kid didn't take you up on that one. Just be thankful. I didn't say that because, yeah, might have woke him up. Might have woke him up. But as it was, he stayed asleep. And I had no good reason to rouse him. None. You see, a lot of times, the reason we we really need to come out of our slumber is because a lot of times in our life, it's what we don't know. And we need a dose of truth and reality. Because it's important for us to have some kind of revelation about our lives. I was talking over the weekend about fasting And one of the big advantages of fasting, one of the things that fasting does for us, is that it reveals in us weaknesses. And it reveals truth about our lives. And it's important for us to put ourselves in those kind of situations where truth and reality can be revealed to us so that we can do something about it. You know, it's kind of a charm of childhood that we just kind of live unaware. That's what children do. And I suppose that may drive some of us in our fantasy worlds as adults so that we can try to keep living unaware. But it doesn't work. It just brings destruction. Because children are allowed to do that. We we make provision for children. I mean... You know, like kids believe in all kinds of stuff, and we don't even really have much to say about it, do we? In fact, we encourage some of it. Kids believe in stuff like the tooth fairy, and and the tooth fairy is encouraged. We we put money under their pillows, and uh, and and you think about like you know Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and stuff that kids believe in, and we just allow for it. They're kids. You're not a kid, though. Well. Except for the kid. But but you're adults. You're adults. We can't keep living there. 
God, God calls you out of that. I mean, after a certain age, we we just got to grow up. After a certain age, we we got to become aware. And and I do want to say that we can safely lose ourselves in Jesus, but that's the only place. Because he's the way and he's the truth and he's the life. So the only place I know of that's safe for me to lose myself in is him. If I'm losing myself in something else, that's unsafe fundamentally. If I'm even losing myself in my own mind or in my own thought, that's fundamentally unsafe. The only place I can lose myself, truly lose myself, is in Jesus. Because he's the truth. He's safe. And so as adults, I want to call us to be awake. As adults, I, I want us to call us out of whatever fantasy we may have of childhood bliss. Because those days are over. And they are rightfully over. That we are called into a reality and we're called into a place of truth. And so I I put that call out tonight. I mean, Samson, he had what you might call a rude awakening. Because he gave his heritage away. He gave his faith away. He gave his relationship with God away. He gave everything away in his slumber. And and I would encourage you to to make a decision before that happens in your life. I mean, he eventually came back, didn't he? Blind in both eyes, tortured, chained, mocked, laughed at. Ended up, up taking out a bunch of Philistines, though, by pulling a building down on him. Yep. Through his, I mean, he he had to die to do it, but he did it. He came back. And so I want to encourage you before you get to that point, or if you're at that point, let's wake up. And I just want to pray for you quickly. I want to ask God to wake us up. And and like I said, it's awesome when it happens to a whole nation, but I ain't praying for the nation tonight. It's awesome when it happens to a city, but I'm not going to pray for the city tonight. I'm just going to pray for us. Because we're here. We're here. And wherever else in the world that people are listening to this, you're where you're at. Father, I... I thank you that you're the truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he is the way to the Father. I thank you that that's what you have chosen, and that's how you've chosen for us to live. I pray for a call to go forth, a call into people's hearts, into their minds, deep into their spirit, to wake up to wake up out of their slumber, to wake up out of their fantasy, to wake up out of that place that they're they're dwelling in for whatever reasons they're there. And I call through the fear. I call through the lies of the enemy. I call through the deception and the darkness of the enemy. I call into the deep places 
And I call people to be awake in the name of Jesus. And I call them out of their slumber. I call them into truth in Jesus' name. Come on out. Come on out. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to come out. Come out of deception. Come out of lies. Come out of that fantasy place. Come out of that dream. Come out of that dullness. Come out of that slumber. Come on out into the truth, into reality. Because this is where God wants you. Come on out. Thank you, Lord. I pray, God, that as we would walk out of those places, that you would preserve this work in us. There'd be no retreat. No retreat. But you would preserve this work of truth in us, that, God, we would dwell in your truth. We would dwell in your light. We would dwell in your life that you have for us. And for some of us, it may mean to reprioritize some things. For some of us, it may mean to, to repent of some things and change some things in our life. For some of us, we might see how messed up we are. Well, it's time for repair. I pray you, you get to it, God, on our behalf. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thanks for your love over us. pray that you would fix us and heal us and repair us and repair us and prepare us for what lies ahead. New vision, new vision, new power, new call, new days ahead. Give you thanks, Lord. Tonight we give you thanks, honor, and praise in truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community dad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.